If you sell courses, coaching, or consulting online, this episode is epic. So I interviewed Cole Gordon, who runs a $30 million a year sales team, and he used the word automated. I'm like, what? How do you run an automated sales team? Listen, I've made so much money by having a team that answers phones, but it's been one of the most stressful things I've ever done to the point that I had built this entire infrastructure so I didn't have to touch it. It's not been the most healthy relationship, but it can be very profitable if done right. Also, you want to make sure that everything you do through that team, right, is ethical, moral, and amazing and serves people right. So this conversation I had with Cole was just amazing. He goes over the four steps of how to build an amazing sales team. He gets into deep detail. You'll see at one point I veer off to turn it into a full-blown consultation session. It's awesome. It was so awesome that at the end, we decided to cut it off and do a part two, which will be coming in the future. This is my one of my favorite episodes in the last couple of years. But when it comes to sales team, I have never seen anyone talk about it the way it does here. So if you sell courses online and you're thinking about adding a back end to your funnel, uh, you need to listen to this episode. Cole crushes it. And he's, by the way, the industry leader in teaching sales teams. He's worked with Tony Robbins, Dean Graciosi, all the big people. So he's coming with a wealth, a wealth, a wealth of knowledge that even blew me away. Now, again, remember, onicpodcast.com to binge listen to all of our episodes. Make sure you click subscribe, hit like, leave a comment, do all that fun stuff. And make sure you subscribe to us on whatever platform you're on. Please tell other people about the fighting entrepreneur. Having said that, now let's turn it over to the amazing interview with Cole. All right, so we've got Cole Gordon here, a sales team extraordinaire. I'm, I'm really interested because we were chatting off the camera and pff, mind blown. Cole, thanks for being here, man. I'm really excited to, to interview you. So thanks for taking the time to do this. Absolutely, man. Happy to, happy to be here. All right, so 30 million a year sales team. But my favorite part about what you said was automated you know, hands off, like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, I'm going to be very honest with you. I've had multiple sales teams in my life. I love the people. I hate the whole genre of the team. I've never had good feelings about it. It's really stressful. It's, um, you're constantly riddled with excuses and problems. And so I'm really intrigued to talk to you today. Uh, now, having said all of that, We've made millions of dollars by having a great sales team. If you, and I'm talking to the people listening, if you sell a course, if you're a coach or if you're a consultant, this having that backend program is just so key. Uh, obviously, do it right, do it well, do it respectfully, do it ethically, do it morally, follow the laws, follow the rules. That goes without saying. But if you do it right and you're good to your customers, man, it's going to add legs to your business unlike any other you can imagine. We've I've made tens of millions from it. So Cole. I'm going to let you dive in, man. How, like, so imagine you're talking to someone right now. They're, they're, they're doing information marketing. They're making a few hundred thousand dollars a year, maybe a million dollars a year max or whatever. And they're sitting there and they're thinking, gosh, I have a great idea for a coaching program, but like, I don't want to sit here and do sales calls all day. Cause that's like the worst thing I could possibly ever do to sell this coaching program or whatever. So that's your person. And you're going to show them how to build this whole new leg to their business but do it without like the stress of a sales team, go. Okay, well, um, yeah, I mean, and this is, so I can share with you kind of the different stages to go through, but um, I think first, just so, so people in the audience have some context, you know, one of the things that we're known for is, you know, we have consulted with sales teams and um, helped build sales teams for people like, you know, Tony Robbins and DeGrasse Josie and, Frank Kern, Agora Financial, which is like a $1.5 billion a year company among like 600 plus others, almost all of like the big names you see running ads that are doing eight figures. 
have uh, at least consulted with us or recruited from us, or we still work with. Um, but on top of that, I'm probably the only sales recruiter, sales trainer, whatever you categorize it at, that has actually like done what uh, our clients are trying to hire us to do. So, you know, we, we've actually, you know, been able to do it ourselves and answer and, and also transfer that skill to other people. And so what I found is there, there's sort of four things we want to cover, right? There's the foundations, making sure you have that in place. Then there's how do you find them? How do you recruit them? How do you, how do you get the talent? How do you ramp them up in the KPI so that they're performing? And then ultimately, how do you retain and how do you manage it? So starting with foundations, um, what's really key to know is there's two parts to a winning sales team. There's the people in the vehicle. So the people are the talent, but the vehicle is really the system the talent operates within. So think of it like a NASCAR race. Well, you got the, you got the, the driver and you got the car. You could put Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the best, uh, or you could put him in the uh, Honda Civic, and he could be the best drive, driver ever, but he's not going to win the Daytona 500, right? So we want to make sure there's the, these, there's the, the people and the vehicle, okay? Very same as, uh, you know, Warren Buffett talks about, it's not necessarily how hard you row, it's what boat that you're in. And so the vehicle is kind of the opportunity vehicle for the salesperson. So... Talent, we'll cover in just a second. And talent's only 50% of the part of the equation. Most people think, man, all of their problems just comes down to the talent. But a lot of times they don't realize part of it is them and their system and their company. So what makes a great system? Well, there's three things I want to cover. Number one is a validated offer. So you mentioned, you know, somebody with a coaching program or an idea or, um, you know, um, they, they want a sales team, but they don't want to take calls themselves. Even if they're not a sales you know, person by nature, um, they really should go through this phase of offer validation and sales process validation, where they at least sell their thing 10 or 20 times. I mean, that would be the bare, bare minimum. Okay. That way, because the biggest thing, if you're to recruit a great salesperson, they don't want to kind of buy in on your idea. They want to buy in on what actually has happened in an established baseline. So they want to see that you have actually done this before and done it successfully and that you are, or it could be, you know, your, your sales integrator or your, your business partner who's in, in charge of the sales. That's totally valid as well. But somebody has actually done it, you know? And so you want to be able to validate the offer. The next thing, though, is you need to validate what's called the optimal selling system. So if you've read Ready, Fire, Aim by Mark Ford, he talks about in stage one, going from zero to a million, the optimal selling system. So that's essentially, what are you selling? How are you selling it? It's really when you're first figuring out, like, what are we doing? Because previous to that, the problem is you don't know what you're doing. So the optimal selling system when it comes to high ticket looks like this. There's two parts. There's essentially a consistent, repeatable, um, predictable way to generate opportunities, which are sales calls, and then a consistent, repeatable, um, predictable way to convert those sales calls into customers, right? So it's how do we generate the calls? How do we close the calls? Now with how we generate the calls, what's really, really key is that it's a system, consistent, repeatable, predictable system, keyword system, what's a system? That's when the inputs are correlated to the outputs, okay? That's where you can do more of one thing and it might not be in a complete linear fashion, but for the most part, you get more of another thing, okay? So let's look at what that actually looks like. There's six main ways you can get clients or you can, get, uh, you can generate leads or traffic and I got this from Alex Ramosi. There's own media, earn media, affiliates, there's cold outbound, there's referrals, and then there's paid traffic. I've consulted probably six or 700 um, high ticket businesses, many of which are seven, eight, and even nine figures. So like top people in the industry 
What I can tell you is 99% are all paid media. So I'm not saying you have to use paid media. I'm telling you from my observation, to really have a system that's going to support the sales team, you have to have some paid media. Now, there is exceptions. If you have a massive email list, if you're Graham Steven, you have 4 million YouTube sub subscribers. If you are, if like affiliates and generating that and you could do it consistently evergreen throughout the year, if that's your jam, certainly that can work. Um, we have a cold outbound team where we're literally cold calling people and cold e emailing people who have no idea who we are. That's another, you can do more inputs, you get more outputs. But generally for most people, paid media is probably, they're gonna be their go-to because cold outbound is very hard. Um, I mean, it's, it's even for us, if this is our specialty, it's, it's pretty tough. And then uh, own media and earn media, I mean, that's something you gotta kind of build over time. So unless you're the existing influencer, you're probably not gonna get that overnight. So paid media is usually the fastest track there. What's, what's own media, earn media? Yeah, so own media would be like your email list. Earn media would be like your YouTube subscribers. From, from how I understand it, and I could be messing that up, but it's okay. basically your audience. Uh, but own media is like you actually own the data. That could be your customers, your email list, et cetera. So okay. again, I don't want to say the only way you could do it is paid traffic, but it's a very good system because more inputs equal more outputs. Generally, you could take your budget from a thousand bucks a day to two thousand bucks a day. You might not get a true two X in leads, but you know you do get a scalable way to do that, and that's very important because your sales team needs to have full calendars every single day, and that could, that could be consistent throughout the year. You know, I've never consulted a company who did launches periodically and had a great sales team. And that's because in the lulls, you, you lose your sales team or your sales team's off, you know, now they're starting a, another business, they're starting a side hustle, then they're never really bought in. So we need to yeah. keep them fed. And that doing that is the only way we create the conveyor belt. And that's the easiest way to think about your sales team is essentially a conveyor belt. It's like, you got consistent leads coming in from a consistent source under the same context with the same problems, looking for the same solutions, talk, going through the same sales process. It's very, very easy to build a sales team when you have that. But what most people want is their sales teams to be these glorified like Swiss army knives where it's like, hey, I'm doing an event. Hey, I'm doing a launch. Hey, we're gonna run a webinar. Hey, we're gonna do this. And, that, and like, they're trying to respond and react to like 900 different things. And those leads are all different. They're coming into different contexts. A lot of times they have different problems. So again, optimal selling system, foundations, consistent repeatable way to generate sales calls. We need to have that first inputs, outputs. The second thing is how do you convert the sales calls into clients? And we want to do that in a way that eliminates founder syndrome. Okay. So founder syndrome is like the belief of, oh, only I can sell my thing. You know, if I help, uh, you know, women lose weight who are above 40, you know, it, it's the belief that your methodology or your product is so special that only you could sell it. Now, the problem is that's not true. Um, and here's the deal. Typically founder syndrome is a symptom of leads that are coming in with all sorts of different problems under all sorts of different contexts. Classic example is the full service digital agency who like, they just do everything for everybody. So they're like, yeah, we'll do your website. We'll do Facebook ads. We'll do Google, Google ads. We'll do TikTok ads. It's like, if we can figure out how to do it, we will do it. The problem with that is that the founder might be able to put, up, put together and sell packages that can essentially fit the needs of every single client that's completely customized. But how are you going to have a sales team be able to do that? Because one minute the salesperson is talking about Google ads. The next one, they're talking about a website. The next minute they're talking about, you know, branding and a logo. It's, it, you can't train a sales team to do it. It's very, very hard unless they 
I'm not saying you can't, but it's just, you're, you're going uphill on the battle there. So what, what really helps is essentially if the, the prospects are coming in in the same problems every single time, because then you can essentially train your salesperson to have a consistent diagnosis and prescription process. So instead of being an everything to everybody agency, what you could be is an e-commerce agency that only helps with TikTok ads. Much easier to train a salesperson to sell opposed to, yeah, we just do everything, you know? So that's a very, very key thing. And when we have those two things, we really have the foundations for a great sales team. The final thing as well is buy-in to your mission, vision, and values. Um, and, and really having essentially, I shouldn't say buy-in, but it's more a mission and a vision and a culture that is like a rocket ship and that you're attracting other people. So for me, you know, our company is pretty big. We've made a dent in this space and recruiting now is much easier than um, it's ever been. And I actually heard an interview with Alex and Layla Hermosi the other day, and they were saying since they started acquisition.com and they built their brand and they have this amazing mission and why they're doing it, recruiting has never been easier than it is now because they're a rocket ship and they're really attracting all of this great talent. So when you have great mission, vision, and values and great culture, it's much, much easier to recruit as well. So I wouldn't say, you know, you got to be saving the world to build your sales team. But what I would say is it does dramatically, dramatically help. So that's the first key. I don't know if you have questions about that or anything. To well, one question, because I've been writing down some questions and you, you kind of said something. It's very, it's a very specific question um, out of everything you said, which was you got, you said a sales team has to make sure they have full calendars. I was wondering to you for a full-time salesperson, what is a full calendar? How many calls a day should they be? taking to have a full calendar? Yeah. So generally I always say a minimum of at least three calls a day. Okay. Um, because, you know, you could say, Oh, well, 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 shouldn't my salesperson go out there and, and, and generate their own deals? And I totally agree. I think they can, and they should, but you could also realize that um, you as the business owner, if you truly do, let's say your salesperson is closing 40%, which we would consider pretty good. So let's say they're closing that really, really good. Well, you're more, you're going to make more money as the business owner, just stacking that person full opposed to making them go generate leads. And so instead you would have a uh, MDR or an SDR generate the opportunities and set for the closer. And then that way that person's full. Now, if they have a couple of no-shows or they have a, a day of a lot of cancellations, yeah, I think they should either be hitting their follow-up pipeline. They should be prospecting. They should be doing organic social media, they should be doing something to generate more interest. And, and, and really, usually it's work their pipeline, work people they've already spoken with, and then let the SDRs go after the new people. So yeah, I'd say about three calls a day. Now what's optimal is typically four to five live calls a day. I find after, you know, you can do six, but after six live calls a day, you're pretty exhausted. And a salesperson might say, well, I could take 10 calls a day. But the problem is, is that I know from doing this, because like I, I, you know, I'm not just teaching people how to build sales teams. I, you know, I literally was a sales rep professionally for my entire career until I started my business. And I could tell you that, sure, you could take 10 calls, but to maintain a presence and connection with the prospect and truly be 100% listening to every single word that they say and be truly connected with them and present with them, you only have enough energy to do that four or five times a day. I'm just telling you. So- Depending on your show rate, I kind of tell companies to aim for that four to five, which could mean you got to book eight and you only get five. It could mean you book six, you get five. It just kind of depends on the show rate. But after that, there's definitely a diminishing return.
especially if you're doing that, if you're doing eight a day live every single day, you're going to, you're going to run into a problem where you're just not as present. And then the salesperson kind of goes into a mode of, instead of going really deep with the prospect, it's kind of this like feeling like, Hey, are you going to waste my time? And are, are you going to yeah. buy or not? And I don't, I don't want a sales team that does that. I want to sell people that connect, they, they connect with the prospects to go deep. And sure, if we can't help them, we still leave them in a good place and we send them in a better direction. Not like, oh, you're not worth my time. I'm going to like save my energy for the next call type of thing. Yeah. Um, and for everyone who's, who's listening or watching right now, I'm writing down some very specific, really killer questions. So you guys got to stay on because I'm going to talk more at the high level with, with Cole, but man, I got some really good questions coming up that I'm excited to get answered. And I have probably processed, I don't know, tens of millions with sales teams. And still these questions excite me. Um, now for the listeners, I know what this is, but for the listeners, you've mentioned SDR a few times. What is that? Yes. Yeah, so an SDR is somebody who goes out and generates cold leads who'd never heard of you before. Okay. So an SDR is sending, like for us, we scrape like LinkedIn, for instance, and we'll send cold emails and we'll cold call those people who we think are in our industry. They've never received marketing from us before. An MDR, so an SDR is a sales development rep. An MDR is a marketing development rep. So Anik, if you have a book and you run a book funnel and then you want to outbound all of the leads through telephone who'd buy the book, that's an MDR, not an SDR. And those are very different positions. An SDR is your typical, like, they are finding the person, they know that person's qualified, they're like, going for it, they're going to get that person. And MDR is, 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 is uh, basically working with marketing. They're sort of the last down the funnel thing marketing could potentially have control of, because they're, you're generating a lead for the MDR. So they're reacting to marketing opposed to being proactive in list building and going after the person. You never want to mix those two positions. They're very different. If you try to have an MDR do SDR stuff and an SDR do MDR stuff, what will happen is MDR is easier. So what happens is the, if you try to have the SDR do the MDR stuff, they'll stop doing SDR stuff, they'll do MDR stuff. If you try to have the MDR do SDR stuff, they'll just continue doing MDR stuff because they're getting fed leads. They also yeah. have different comp structures. In SDR, there's gonna be longer sales cycles. You'll typically have to give a bigger base in, in a less percentage of commission. And MDR can usually be 100% commission and should be because they're, you're basically giving them the leads. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. So I'm gonna pause this interview and turn it into a consult session for like 15 minutes now. Um, but before I do that, you I don't know, I think we cut you off in the middle because you were still going over the two parts and you were talking about the conversion side. Did you finish that? Because um, I've got something that I want to position in front of you and everyone listening will be able to learn a lot from it because we'll actually build a team around it proverbially. This is actually something I'm doing. And so, uh, but I want to make sure you finish the general training first before I move into the next section. Well, well, we covered, in terms of building a sales team, there's kind of four parts we're going to cover. We covered the foundations, which is people, vehicle. What's the vehicle? Validated offer, optimal selling system, and a great mission, vision, and values. The next phase is where to find and how to recruit the sales reps, how to interview them, which we could we could hold off for a second and cover your thing and then yeah. back to it if you want. Yeah, so we're on we're on two. I'm going to take a note of that. Okay, so here's what's going on, um, and and then again, everyone, I'm going to go through this consult session and then we'll come back do two, three, four, and then I have specific questions. So it's going to be fun. I'm I'm going to try to decode Cole's like entire career into like an hour episode. Let's see if we can figure it out. So Cole, I'm making some big changes at Learn 
and our back ends I'm making huge changes to uh, for me personally and not necessarily for those who we publish possibly but I am very hot and heavy right now on like I sat down and asked myself like what am I so good at that I got swag walking around like I could walk into a room and feel confident that I'm better than everyone else in this room at that first thing was webinars webinars webinar funnels writing a webinar delivering a webinar getting a sale like I just find myself to be amazing at it I've sold tens of millions of dollars using webinars and then the second one was building information businesses to the eight nine figure range I haven't done nine figure so eight figure but building an eight figure information business is something I've done again and again and again um, I understand funnels, I understand low ticket, mid ticket, high ticket, I understand how to staff it, how to find the team members for it. I understand, you know, all the different pieces of the puzzle. And, and so I was like, I want to build two programs that are the high ticket, that are the back end. So I, what I'm going to be doing is I'm building this whole infrastructure for the information marketing world. So um, there's going to be basically three front ends I offer. This is what I'm going to do my ads for. This is what I'm going to really do like my free books. and. What I want to start doing is all of those people that are just out there in the world saying, oh, what's it, what's an information business look like? What does it feel to like, they're very, what I call, without any disrespect anyone, I call them noobs, right? Just that kind of newbie, free. Their content's going to be free. I want to serve them for free. I don't want to take any money. It's only when they're ready to really commit and they're like, okay, I've already, I know what this is. Now I want to do it. Then there will be one level of program. That'll be a few thousand a year. Then there are two masterminds above that, okay? One for, the, uh, one for those who really want to master webinars and everything around webinars, and one that's higher level that's like, hey, I have an information business. So there's three products, a layer of free stuff, but all of my traffic goes to the free stuff, which is a newsletter, a community, and a free course. So that's been my goal. And my goal became like, I really want to drive all of that to the free and build that community up and get people into the free course. And from there, I don't want to use hard selling, hard marketing to get them to ascend up my chain. I really want them to, I want the process to do it. But one of the areas I'm really struggling with this has been how will I sell these masterminds and these, because I really want to be careful that the right people are getting in. And my experience with sales people to date, and I take ownership over this, could be me, could be whatever, has been, it's kind of hard to trust them to really vet for you. Um, because they get on a call, they got to eat, and they only eat what they kill. So like they're going to go for the sale. And so I'm wondering in the, in the system that I'm talking about right now, so I was very nervous about like the whole usual, like go book a call here because I kind of feel like, well, I don't want them to talk to the salesperson right away because God knows what's going to happen. Plus I'm going to be pretty open about the pricing and everything. So then I'm really asking myself, do I even want a salesperson? Cause like, why do they need to even get paid these big bucks for a lead that has been so warmed up, even probably knows the price and is just getting on the phone to be validated. So as I'm talking about that, I, the reason I brought it up and stopped now is, is that more of like, so in, in an example of an SDR, I guess I don't really know if either of those two offers are really SDRs, right? Because they're going into LinkedIn and what, like cold fishing for people that do webinars? Like it doesn't really seem to make much sense. Um, What's an example of an offer that an SDR would do great for? Is it like if I'm an agency, if I'm selling like copywriting services? Real estate, real estate marketing for real estate agents. You could have a list building team, scrape Zillow, complete the leads, enrich the data, clean the data. SDRs go after the agents. It's usually offers where it's a professional, like professional services, 
they self-identify, you know, HVAC companies, roofers, stuff like that. Um, but info marketers is very, very hard to do an SDR team to because okay. they don't put on their LinkedIn, I'm an info marketer. Does it make sense? Yeah. So yeah. now we, we have found a way to around that and it is pretty ninja and it's, it could be this whole other thing. I would not recommend, I mean, your skill set is, is, is very much the, the marketing, right? So I would recommend an MDR team, you know? Um, I don't know if I let you finish your question, but. No, that's it. That, that's great. So I, that's kind of what I was feeling and you answered it perfectly. And I wanted everyone listening to hear that SDRs, I typically hear the term SDR in the SaaS world because it's very easy. Like if you're like, I used to be part, well, I was a co-founder of a company called Sendlane. We provide email marketing services for e-commerce companies not very hard to go out and find e-commerce companies and then contact them and book calls for demos of our software. So I never really saw how that related to our business. You just confirmed it. So if you're listening right now, guys, as an information marketing business, SDR is not really your thing, but an MDR is. So in this example, Cole, where I've got like a Facebook group and I've got this other community on a web platform, I've got email leads, I've probably got cell phone numbers, physical addresses. How does an MDR go to work and how do I make sure that they're doing right by the per like I don't want an aggressive salesy sell everybody in because that's not what the programs are for. So what does an MDR do? What is a, like a typical day of an MDR? Well, well, let me let me explain it in the context of how it might work for you because the typical yes. day of an MDR is going to be predicated on what it's going to be predicated on the marketing because they're responding to the marketing, right? So our MDRs we we run we essentially run what I call the five minute funnel which instead of this long webinar, we run an ad to an opt-in, to a five minute video, to a call. Simplest thing in the world. They call the people who don't book. That's all they do. They call and text them. That's all they do, which is a lot of people. I mean, the majority of people aren't gonna book, right? So they call the people that don't book. I have found that funnel that I just mentioned the best for any sort of B2B thing. Honestly, it's pretty good for B2C too. It, it works for anything I've really tried it for, uh, but man, it's, it's the only thing I've really seen can scale B2B. Um, now for what you're doing with the community aspect. So you're, you're building this community with all this traffic. I, I would essentially have the, I mean, there's, there's different ways you could do it, but let's say you're getting them in all in a Facebook group. This is pretty common is some of the MDRs we staff, they'll go into the client's Facebook group. And when people enter, that's an entry point. There's like, there's multiple hand raisers when somebody's in a community. The first one's when they enter. So they reach out and they use a script to basically get them on a quick call and usually tag them in a few trainings based on what they need with. And then if it makes sense, pitch them a call with the closer, right? So that's right when they enter the community. Um, also there's, you've seen the posts where it's like comment below for X, Y, and Z. Well, uh, this is something, believe it or not, you probably won't even believe this, but I pioneered not that, not that type of post, but using MDRs in conjunction with that post to actually reach out and set people on closures calendars. To my knowledge, I was the first person, you know, way back in the day, uh, like 2016, to, to use setter teams for that. That's another hand raiser you can do. So you could say, hey, you know, I just created a training on how I did a million in an hour off of a webinar, comment below, you get 900 comments, you have your MDRs go in there and do that. Now, if you don't, if that's a little bit like, too salesy. Another way you could do it is you just have the MDRs send them the link through Messenger. And then it's a name, email, phone number. That phone number gets zapped into a 
and do a system that round robins the leads to your MDRs. And then your MDRs within five minutes of them opting, opting in, this is what my guys do, is they'll call and be like, hey, saw you downloaded the training from, uh, from Onik on how to do X, Y, and Z with webinars. Just wanted to make sure you got it. Because I know sometimes like sometimes like our, you know, our tech uh, doesn't work and you know you download these things and you never see them. So number one, I mean, wanted to make sure you got it. And number two, Onik wanted me to see if there's anything that would be valuable for you based on what you're doing in business that we could also pair you up with training wise in the group. So number one, did you get it? Number two, you're also open to an additional training. And then to give them the additional training, you would basically say, okay, give me some context, like what type of business do you run? What are you doing? And then based on that, I can pair you up with what would be most relevant and useful for you. And so then they can kind of do a little mini discovery, give them another training and then pitch the call with the closer. So that's what I like to do. Cause I don't like to like withhold the training from the two-step and then it's like, you don't give it to them. It's kind of, eh, you know, it gives a weird, weird feel. The other thing that works really great in the communities is essentially um, doing like webinars every now and then in the community, getting a bunch of people on. You can either pitch a call with your team or you can have them comment below, have your setters reach out or the people who register for the Zoom webinars from the community, you can have your team outbound them. That's that's another thing that that uh, we don't do, do that one personally, but I have tr tremendous amount of clients who they'll book 800 people on a webinar, then they outbound all the people from the webinar. So there's not a lot of pitching in the group, but a lot of it's through the conversations happening with the MDRs. Mm. The one thing I'll say about making sure they enroll people who are actually qualified is we just have a very good client success team to where if the client success team feels like they, they have certain KPIs they have to hit in terms of client success. And if they feel like they don't have the right opportunity or the right client to be able to do so, we'll just refund it. And uh, sometimes we'll let them keep the training and everything. And we say, hey, we made the wrong decision. You can keep the training as a, you know, as a, you know, thank you for your time. And then we'll just refund them. And if you do that, I mean, the closers generally, they're not going <laughs> to want to enroll people. Yeah, I, I think the main, if you have good culture fits too, I find people are pretty cognizant of like wanting to enroll the right people. Now, I think the main thing to worry about would be like making sure they use compliant language. That's a little bit tougher, but I think generally people want to enroll the right people into the right programs, unless you just need it. Okay, man, I'm really, we're just going down a rabbit hole here, but it's okay. We'll end up somewhere. This is a lot of fun. If I'm having a lot of fun, I feel like people listening will be having a lot of fun. <laughs> At least I think so. Um, five minute funnel. That's interesting. I feel like that could be a whole nother freaking episode. So let's break this one down. Um, I have my webinar mastermind that's coming out that I'm super excited about. Um, and I've already been talking to my ads team about how we're going to build audiences. Cause that's not something you can easily target on YouTube or Facebook, uh, of like, Hey, do you run webinars? Um, but we've kind of figured out how we are going to get an audience that we think is interested in it. So in your case, you run an ad that, uh, what, what do you offer? How do I get the click? Give me an example of an ad, like an ad that goes to a five minute funnel. What does that ad say? You can pick any topic you want. Yeah. So, so we'll just use kind of the one we do. And, uh, essentially, you know, we help staff sales teams we know the thing it's like, you kind of identify like, what do they want? Right. Yeah. So, um, our, pe our people, like what they really need is most people don't, don't know how to run a sales team and they really don't know how to run their business. Um, so they need like sales process, leadership, management skills, a lot of that stuff. Now they do usually need people too, but they also need that other stuff that they think they're already good at it. It's kind of one of those things. So we always talk about the recruiting on the front end and in the funnels I run, 
The first line, I just state the offer. So it's an offer-based lead, as, as Mark Ford would call it. So I just say, our setters will perform or you don't pay. I'll say, coaches, our setters perform or you don't pay. So you state the offer in the first line. Now, you don't have to do that, but I recommend that's where you start, is create a great offer and then state it in the first line. You do that in the video and in the first line if it's a Facebook ad, for instance. But if it's a YouTube ad, you do it right in the first five seconds. Uh, mm -hmm. Same thing if it's a TikTok ad. So that's what I do. And then essentially after I state the offer, the next phase is expanding on the offer. So that's expanding on kind of like this, what we're gonna get done or how we're gonna get it done. So that could, that's 20 seconds. And then I give a big guarantee, which I just restate the guarantee I said before. And then I give a massive amount of social proof. So this is like big, big claim, big guarantee. I call it big claim, big guarantee, big proof. And then after I give the proof, I do a soft CTA. And then after I do the soft CTA, I go into the mechanism. So it'll sound something like this. I'll say, uh, so if that's all you need to hear and you just want to get right on the phone and talk with our team, you can apply below with the button below this video. Or if you want to know why this works so well, I'm going to tell you the single biggest reason why. And this, or, or you could do the two reasons why, but I, I recommend the single biggest reason why because just one's better than two. And then you basically, through that single biggest reason why, you explain the mechanism or in layman's terms, the simultaneous explanation of why everything they tried in the past has failed and why this is gonna be different, right? So if I was selling the ketogenic diet, a ketogenic diet coaching program, I would explain this, here's the single biggest reason why, because most people, they can't lose fat because of what's called insulin resistance. See what happens is when you have insulin resistance, this problem happens and here's the problem with that problem, which ultimately leads to this consequence. So instead, what our clients do is we get you in a state of ketosis, which allows you to benefit, which ultimately means benefit of the benefit. And then I would, I would throw in some proof there, like two or three proofs, maybe living proof. I'd tell my story. I'd tell a client's story again, or I'd uh, explain maybe in a diagram or a picture so they could see like reason why proof. So I'd throw in a few proofs and then I'd CTA again. You can do it all in five minutes. So again, it's like you, you kind of state the mechanism which I like by teeing up like problem, reason why the problem is a problem, the consequences not fixing it. So because of that, here's what we do, method, methodology, which allows you to benefit and benefit of benefit. And so it also creates an us versus them frame because you're basically stating, here's what everybody else out there is not doing, right? And essentially here's what we're doing differently, which is why we're getting results, us versus them, new versus old. Yeah. So it kind of has all those little things and I just kind of condensed it down but the, re the way I came up with this funnel is, I mean, you know, I think uh, Joel Irway was like the first person to really start doing a lot of offer leads in the high ticket space. Uh, and then I saw Alex Becker do his high rose funnel and he just crushed it with that. Now, granted, a lot of that's because the product's really great, but, you know, it's like he had a great product and that was the fun. He sort of used a direct funnel. And then so I tested a bunch of iterations and I sort of came up with that formula for, for ours. And so I like that. And I've, I've, I've taken a lot of people who can't get their leads right for B2B and they use something along those lines and it works great. But you can also, on the front end, you don't have to start with the offer. You can also um, be indirect, but what I recommend is getting the entire sales message in the ad. So this is something that most people then don't do. Cause like, even when I started, I would 
tease the new opportunity in the ad, but to find out what the new opportunity is, they got to watch the VSL. They got to watch the webinar, right? So I might tease, there's this new way to get customers online. And let's say that's funnels, if you're doing click funnels, but the opportunities revealed in the webinar. What I recommend now is doing everything in the ad, right? Everything. So it's like an ad SL. It's like an ad sales letter. And so really you get your entire spiel out in the ad and then you get, um, you expand on it in the five minute video, which is a little bit more intent based. I find that for whatever reason works tremendously better. So you can still go indirect, which will help you get different pockets of the audience. Um, but it's, it's like, it, it, you want to get like almost the CTA that you're really trying to make in the ad itself. Um, I, I would just imagine like it's a numbers game to where you just get more eyeballs on the offer. So it converts better. You know, it's yeah. like, you might not, they might not be as nurtured, but like more people see the offer. So that's just what I found working right now. That's kind of for B2B, like B2C, there's a lot of different things that work, but like B2B it's, you got the short attention spans. So in your case, what are they like when they land on the page, you're collecting name, email, and I guess phone, because you'd said you you call people that don't book a call, but what's, why, what, why would I give that to you? Like, what are you offering me in return and what's in that five minute video? So I, if I watched your whole thing, you've already put the offer out. You've already said like, Hey, book a call with us to talk to us about, you know, generating setters for you or whatever. So our, our headline is literally enter your information for a one pager. It states the offer again. And then it'll be like, enter your information for a one pager on how this offer works. Okay. So that's all it so, is. It's very intent based. However, our, so our lead cost might be a hundred bucks, yeah. but then our call cost will be 200 bucks. Like our, our VS, that five minute video will convert at 40 to 70%. Yeah. No, I believe it because, well, because you're getting the right people from the get go, right? So they heard the offer. I'm wondering how this translates. Cause B2, I'm not really B2C, but I kind of am with the webinar, with the one example I'm using, which is the webinar mastermind. And I'm kind of wondering like, does it work the same? I guess, what's the first thing I say in the ad to them? I would say something to the tune of like, are you using webinars to sell more? I, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out like what, how, cause how does, so you, basically what you're saying is like, just in the ad, just say like, Hey, I've got this mastermind. We've got brilliant people that we bring together that use webinars. And this is our framework we use. And we want to deliver this framework to you. like that. Am I hearing you right? I mean, we have an ad running right now. It's this one's a little borderline because we're going after really affluent people, but ours is just looking for a mastermind to go from hundred K a month to a million a month plus. And then I just state the offer. Like that's literally what that is. Now that one, I think the TAM is so small because like infopreneurs and high ticket going from hundred K a month to a million a month. I mean, that's pretty small. There's, there's yeah. what a thousand, but yeah. if you were saying looking for the, 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 uh, the number one mastermind on what, you know, you could just try that now, you know, is that as good as the setter thing? No, but no. what you could also do is experiment with an indirect lead. You know, what is the number one most powerful tool that you could use to sell an info product, a coaching service or this or that, you know, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. And in fact, it's something that I used to generate 10 million in the past X, Y, and Z. Hi, my name is Onik. And, but you just get everything in the end. 
No, I hear the biggest takeaway here is well, I can figure out a bunch of different hooks to get people's attention. But what I heard from you is put in the ad, like let them know that, hey, you're going to go to this page. You're going to give me your name, email and phone number. And I'm going to tell you about a mastermind that we have and how it can help you. <laughs> and that's what it is. Um, yeah. For a lead that warmed up, there's a really this is one of my questions up here. Like, Do you still pay? Like, what do you pay the salespeople? So like, I kind of feel like at this point, I'm like, well, shit, man, we're doing all the work for them. You've stated the offer. They've opted in. They've talked to a setter. <laughs> then they're going to the salesperson. It's like, do you still pay like the 10, 20 plus percent? Because there's such a range out there in the industry of what, of what people get paid. Here's how I think about it. So it's like when you think of when people ask what percentage do you pay? they're thinking in terms of like, it's it's not chunked down enough, right? Like really when you, at, when you look at compensation for any position from a first principles perspective, essentially what you wanna figure out is their on-track earnings. So here's the deal, for salespeople to get a great team, at minimum, I would at least make sure they have a structure in place to where they can make 10 to 15,000 a month. I mean, if you really, really, really need like the best in the world, uh, 15 to 25, after 25, I don't really think there's going to be any benefit to paying more than that. Right. Uh, I'm not saying if you, if you put a structure in place and your person's making 40, then, you know, whatever, they make it 40. But, um, you know, usually I try to target it. So if I, if I want like, like our B2B service is pretty hard to sell and we need really, really good people. So they can mm -hmm. all make about 20 to 35. But that's about as, as high as I'd ever recommend. Our B2C is a little bit easier to sell. So typically they could make about 10 to 20, you know, somewhere in there. And so I just reverse engineer the comp from there. So you, you, you take into account three factors. It's the, the qualified lead flow, the baseline closing percentage, and then the comp. So like I would see, okay, well, if they take this amount of calls, here's what I was closing these leads at. And then I might take 90% of that because they might not close as well as I would. And then I would do okay, here's kind of the comps and I experiment to try to get it in the range. Because the real thing is that you're going to be able to pay above market value, not necessarily a percentage. And that's what I would explain to a rep that were like, well, I, I'm used to 15%. It's like, yeah, well, how much were you making in your last position? Okay, 10K. All of my people make more than that and they're getting paid 7%. So would yeah. you rather make 10% and get paid less or 7% and make more? Because yeah. the opportunities aren't created equal. My leads are better. You know, see what, see what I mean? And that's yeah, why like, it our, makes sense. Yeah, like our B2B, because of our reputation, we get tremendously good leads because they're like, oh, he worked with Tony Robbins. He's worked with this person. So if like, and, and the price point's huge and people just come in and pay in full. So it's like, well, why should I pay you more? You know, they're thinking in terms of percentages. I just want to show them like, here's the earnings. And when yeah. you communicate that way, it's, it's better for everybody. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. All right. I, I could keep going on forever, but I want to be respectful of your time and to everyone who's listening. So let's go back. Let's rewind. We had gone over, there's four stages to building a successful sales team. We were moving into step two. So go for it. Well, you got to find the right people. So that's how you recruit them. So there's a few things. Who are we going after? How are we going to go after them? And how are we going to interview them? Okay. So who do we go after? We want to look for three qualities. Okay. Number one is specialized knowledge. So Naval Ravankant says... The specialized knowledge is the knowledge that only comes from the experience of doing, right? You can't learn it from a textbook. You can't learn it from school. You can't learn it from a course. You can't learn it from, you only can, by the nature of it being specialized, it's because you've done it. And it's because yeah. it's a unique skill 
that can only come from the experience of doing so. A few examples of specialized knowledge in general could be sales, because I will tell you, I've never met a great salesperson who has never sold anything before. They just read a lot of books. Okay. I'm not saying the books are bad, but like, yeah. There's a certain thing with sales to where like you could read a bunch of books, but I mean, you get on a sales call, there's like things you got to work through. Like people have like things they got to break down and beliefs and there's a, there's a real specialized knowledge to it. I don't see that going away. So sales is one. Um, I would say media buying is another one. I'd say copywriting is certainly when you can read a, a lot of copywriting books, you're not going to be good at it like that. Uh, leading teams is another specialized skill. Development and coding is another specialized skill. It could also be like building out certain teams or, uh, leading and, and doing certain roles in specific businesses, you know, let's say, uh, you know, you were a part, you were a marketing director of an e-commerce business that went from 10 million a year to nine figures. There's a ton of specialized skill sets that person gained that, um, you know, you probably couldn't learn anywhere. You know, it just, it just came from all of this trial and error and experience. So that's the number one thing we would look for in any hire that we make, but especially in sales is specialized knowledge. What's their track record? Have they actually done the thing? You know, Charlie, uh, Charlie and Warren say when they assess managers for the companies they're investing into, they never really look at what their projections are, what they say they can do. They look at what they've actually done because past performance is the best predictor of future performance and future behavior. Number two is industry acumen. So what we want to look for, secondly, is can they speak the language of our kind of market, our tribe, our product or service? So for instance, you know, if you take a car salesperson on it and you're having them sell an infopreneur on webinars, well, like they could have been the best car salesperson in the world, but like if they don't even know what like pay traffic and CPC means and CPL and, and attendee rate, you know, if they don't know that stuff, they're going to have to learn it so that they speak the language. Otherwise, have you ever been on a, on a call with a salesperson and you have this feeling like they just don't get it, you know, like... <laughs> I'm not talking with an expert, you know, when Jordan Belfort in his book, when he talks about like the three tells and one of them is being sharp as a tack and an expert in your industry or, or whatever. Um, what, what he means is like somebody who sounds like they know what they're talking about. Like if you talk with my sales team about our B2B, you know, we're talking with highly affluent hundred K to a million a month entrepreneurs. They need to understand the funnels, what's working right now, pay traffic, the pay traffic plat platforms working, uh, the different funnels they could use, like sales team and how to run sales teams. They got to have a little bit of industry acumen and expertise to be able to sell more complex type offers. And then the other thing is as well is like, let's say you take that same car salesperson and you have them sell. One of my clients helps women over 40 optimize their hormones so they can age and live healthier lives, right? Well, the, the grizzled car sales guys not going to be able to speak the language of the women over 40 to 60, right? So we do want specialized knowledge, but arguably more important is can they speak the language of the industry, right? We all were in these 150 person tribes and it's like, are we gonna be perceived by the prospect as being part of the tribe? Now that doesn't mean the car sales vet couldn't learn webinars, couldn't learn. And a lot of times that kind of is one of the avenues in which you, you find somebody who's really good and you kind of just bring them up to speed in your industry. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, if you want a superstar right off the gun, you want them to have specialized knowledge and industry acumen. The final one is buy-in. So that's buy-in to the mission, vision, and values, the product and the market. So of course, like for them to sell them, they have to, for them to sell a prospect, they have to have conviction in the product. Okay. Duh. Secondly though, they also have to resonate with the market. And a lot of times the easiest way for them to resonate with the market is if they are the market, you know, like somebody who could be really good, 
is let's say somebody took your course and uh, really just was super passionate about webinars, right? And they, they, they kind of had this entrepreneurial background, all of that stuff. Well, the thing is, is because they might sell your thing great because they have conviction in the product and they resonate with the market because they are the market. So that's, and you know, the car sales guy might not resonate with the, the, the woman over 40. Then the final things is buy-ins to the mission, vision, and values. Now I used to think mission and vision values was like a scam. I was like, this is just some corporate stuff. You know, that's like, this stuff doesn't matter. But um, this analogy really helped me drive it home of how important this is. Because especially as your company gets bigger, there's this natural increase of entropy and the, the forces of trying to push everything into disorder. And so what happens is your, your mission, vision, and values is what limits entropy and gets everybody going in the same direction towards the same goal. So your vision is like, if you, if you imagine, let's say we're getting on one of those old school boats with the sails and we're going across the ocean, your vision is where you're going. And more importantly, it's the challenging destination of where you're going. Your mission is why you're going where you're going. And then your values is how the crew is going to interact with each other on the way to going where you're going. So when people are bought into that, that is non-negotiable and they will sell better because they feel like they're on the right boat. So that's key. We want to find somebody who has all three of those, specialized knowledge, industry acumen, and buy-in. Now, how do you kind of rate the desirability of recruits? We don't have to find somebody with all three, but buy-in is always non-negotiable. And then the very least, we want one of the two. So generally, because our industry is so new, this might not be the case in five years, but right now, the high ticket stuff, it's pretty new. I mean, it's been around, but like now you really see most companies run their company with a sales team. That's pretty new. And in five, 10, 10 years, you know, this might be different, but it's really hard to find somebody who has all three of those, you know, unless you're just really, you know, like I can find them, but it's tough for most people. So generally you want to either find somebody with the specialized knowledge of sales and then train them up on your industry, or you find somebody who's wildly passionate about the industry. They get the industry, they have an expertise in the industry and they want to learn sales. Right. And they have the kind of the natural talents and abilities. So like, you know, you can teach them. You want kind of one of those scenarios if you can't find both. And, and our best person did not even know what the high ticket marketing industry was, but they came from solar. There's like the best person over in solar and they did amazing. I mean, they're still our best person. So, you know, you can learn it relatively quickly, but you want to find one of those three. Um, now I can go into how you find them, um, but do you have any questions? No, just, well, on the how side, just to make sure we do have enough time to cover number three and number four, I guess, is there like a secret site, secret Facebook group, secret place, or is it more about really immersing yourself in doing a traditional recruitment, uh, which you would do for any other position? Yeah, well, well, that, that's, that's the master, that's, that's the golden question, right? So yes and no. Um, the secret is good salespeople know other good salespeople. So the reason I started my recruiting business is because I was kind of everybody's, I was all the high ticket closers, favorite high ticket closer. And I was like kind of doing a bunch of training and sales training and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, I would constantly get asked, where could I find good salespeople? How do I get to find good salespeople? Do you know any good salespeople? And I eventually started a company out of it. But the reason I was getting asked that question is because good salespeople know other good salespeople. And so the number one place you could look for for salespeople is and, you know, again, this is how I started my company is because I was like this guy who was really networked with all these sales guys is you could find a really good salesperson, whether it's on your team or on somebody else's team. And you could say, hey, you know, we'll pay you three, three thousand dollars 
if you can refer us somebody who sticks with our company in sales for 60 days. And just, just do that as many people as you can. You can also do that to people out. But if you do it with people inside of your industry, you're going to get all three criteria. If you do it to people outside of your industry, you're going to get people at least who are in sales, right? But they know, might not know your industry. So that's kind of the, the only thing I can recommend because typically that'll be your highest signal to noise in terms of rec recruit quality. Uh, after that, you could certainly outbound people and poach. Uh, easier said than done, but you can do it. Um, it's, 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 it's easy. It's just that to, to really create a force out of it to where it's like a system, it's a little bit it's harder to like, yeah, it's a little yeah. bit harder to like, you know, we were talking earlier, like if you want to go after salespeople who've been in the high ticket industry, like how do you identify the companies and create lists for that in the first place? Kind of tough. So I call that a traditional recruiting process and I'll, I'll just tell everybody it's amazing because I did it to recruit all the key people at Learn, but we also had two full-time recruiters on our staff and the enterprise level LinkedIn account for a recruiter tool. And it was awesome. It's like having a superpower. I brought in some, I mean, I have people in this company that are one of like 20 in the country that at their skill set. Uh, but it's a whole thing. You devote to that. I mean, it's a it's an entire process, a system, and you gotta have experts running it. That's kind of why I said, hey, like they're like a hack and versus a full-blown recruitment system, which most people can't afford to do. And you you gave a great one. I love that. Incentivize those who are already doing it to refer people to you. And, and, and the advice I'm giving too is obviously they don't use us as a recruiter. I'm trying to give them some actual stuff they could do if, if, yes. if, they, don't, if they don't want to use us. But like that's what the main source we get our sales recruits is we just leverage our existing network of sales recruits because we placed over 10,000 people. So it's like, that's how we get most of our really good people. Even though we, you know, we have a certification, we have all that stuff. Still, the main way we get our good people is by leveraging our existing network. But you can always obviously outbound. After that, um, you can use your audience, you can use your network, you can use referrals, you can, you can use all that stuff. Uh, and then finally you got the job boards, right? Look, they're not that great. Let's just be honest. Uh, I will say though, if you do enough volume, they could work. Um, which I'll explain how you can do enough, enough volume in a second. So what does the actual process look like once you actually find some candidates? Well, our process looks like this. There's an application. Then if they're borderline, we do a video application through video ask. You probably know what that is. So it's like they kind of answer some questions with video. So we can kind of see like, should we move this person forward or not? And then what we do after that is a group interview. This is key. So we'll, we'll book a group interview of 10 people. And we'll just kind of do a very light, basic interview across all of them. Um, there's nothing crazy that we're doing with the questions. It, you know, it just, the thing is the human mind can only understand who's good and who's bad through comparison, right? We can only understand what light is if we know what dark is. We can only understand what white is if we know what black is. We can only understand what good is if we know what bad is, night versus day. Like it's all comparison, right? And it's this binary. That's why we have a tendency towards a binary thinking bias. Well, what's great is that when you have a Zoom room and you have 10 people and they're all right there in front of you and you have them ask a question and you ask a question, you have them all answer it, it's tremendously easier to see who's good and who's bad. And a few things you want to look for is number one, you ask the question, but you don't call on the person to ask it. You see who takes initiative and answers first. You also see after the first person answers, which people just copy the first person's response versus had an authentic response. I mean, you'd be surprised. The next thing is, um, at the end, we typically ask the question, not typically, we always ask the question. Uh, if you can't choose yourself and you were me, who would you hire on this interview? And then you get them to pick the person they would hire. 
So that's a fun question. You got to make that like lighthearted, you know, uh, but people like that because then all the, the all the, uh, the candidates, they'll typically pick the best person. So it's like, if, if you can't pick yourself, who would you hire if you were me on this interview? So that's a good, another good one as well. And the nice thing about group interviews is it allows you to do volume. So like we have a full-time recruiter, same as you, who does two group interviews a day of, of 20 people. So, or uh, 10 people a piece, so 20 people a day. And so that ends up being of what, 400 people a month that we get to interview for all of our available positions. That is a game changer. Then we move into a one-on-one interview. And then after the one-on-one interview, you can do some sort of a skills assessment. So you can do a mock call and then you do a scorecard interview, which is basically going over the position, creating agreements on the KPIs, all of that stuff. So that's the interview process. Now, in terms of how to actually interview. So, so real quick question on that. Out of a room of 10, how many would you expect make it? One, two, three, rough ballpark. Two to three. But it also depends on like the quality of how they came in, you know? Yeah. The only thing I would say is in a group interview, if you're out there trying to poach somebody and it's kind of like you're going to sell them on working with you, I would just do a one-on-one. Yeah. But obviously in that case, like you sort of already know the person's kind of somebody you want, sure. right? So like- yeah. You know, you're sort of bypassing that step, but especially job boards, like the job boards stink if you got to do it one-on-one, but if you can batch them group, you can find good people, you know, so that's, that's the key. And so anyways, how do you actually do the interview process? So there's, there's a couple phases. The first one's introduction. That's like a quick rapport. I throw out a quick few, a few qualifiers to see like, you know, is there any, like, you know, is this going to be a waste of my time? So I'm like, do you know it's hundred percent commission? Do you know it's full-time? Do you know it's remote, et cetera? I'll ask like, what prompted you to reach about? What do you see about the position that prompted you to reach out in the first place? What do you know about our company? I'll ask that type of stuff. Then I'll go on to work history. So we essentially want to outline the three previous positions that they've had. And then, you know, what did they accomplish in those positions? What were the responsibilities? Kind of what were their KPIs, basic stuff. And then we see like, did they do a lateral move or an upward move or a downward move? So we want to look for the upward momentum spiral. Okay. And the next thing, this is where it gets a little bit more interesting is we do what's called CBBI questions, which are competency behave, competency based behavioral interview questions. And so essentially most people, they ask situational questions on their interviews. They'll say, So, you know, if we put you in this situation, if we hired you on as marketing director and we were going to launch a funnel like this, like, how would you handle it? Or what would be your plan in the next 90 days? How would you go about it? And these questions aren't necessarily bad, but the problem is, is that these questions are assuming that the person will actually do successfully what they say they're going to do, which I know seems like, duh, but it's, 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 Again, back going back to Warren and Charlie, like they said, the best best predictor of future performance is past performance. And so just because somebody says they're going to do this doesn't mean they're actually going to do it. So for instance, it'd be very easy for me to be interviewing for a marketing director role and get on and say, oh yeah, well, like to get clients and get your client acquisition to the next level, we would launch a webinar funnel. We would do this, we do that, we do this. But that person might not be good at webinars. They might not even have done webinars or a VSL or any of this stuff. Like it's easy to say these things, it's a different thing to do it. So CBBI questions, they essentially assess those same competencies, not they're asking what they're going to do, but what they've actually already done. And so all of those questions start off with the phrase, tell me a specific time when. So for instance, um, I'll ask a question in sales and it'll be like, um, 
Yeah. So if you, when you were at X, Y, and Z company, was there a, uh, was there a time when lead flow wasn't really up to par and they're like, oh yeah, you know, like it was blah, 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 blah. Gotcha. Like what, what month was that? Oh, that was May of 2021. Okay, great. So uh, lead flow, you, you said it was about 50% of what it usually was. And they're like, yeah. So tell me the specific actions during that time you took to still hit your numbers, despite lead flow not being sufficient. And what you're looking for here is you're looking for a story in what they actually did, not a generalization. So most people, they'll answer the question by saying, well, generally when lead flow is not high, I'll do X. You don't want that. They just told you a month when it wasn't high. I want to know what they did in May of 2021. Yeah. Okay. So that specific month, I did this, I did this, and then I did this, and then I ended up hitting these units despite this amount of adversity. So it's all, you want to look for the, the, the story, not the generalization. Because again, just because they, they, you know, how hard is it to say, oh, well, you'd make outbound calls, you hit your pipeline, you do this, but did they actually do it? And what were the results? The next thing we want to do in our interview process, so we ask a series of uh, CBBI questions, then we assess inputs. So your inputs dictate your outputs. So for instance, a lot of people think Einstein was a genius and, you know, Einstein's a genius, but he was heavily influenced by Newton. And Newton was heavily influenced by, I think, Galileo and a couple of philosophers. And if you look at all these philosophers of that age, they're all influenced and intertwined with one another. Even a lot of great marketers, you know, Jim Rohn influenced Tony Robbins, who influenced, you know, all these different people. So like in any sort of industry, in any sort of expertise, there's always this web of influence. And if we can see what people's inputs are, we can dictate their outputs or we can predict their outputs. So... um, that's basically knowing like what influences them, who's been their biggest mentor, how, what things have they used to invest in themselves, what co- courses, coaches have they bought, all, you know, different stuff like that. Like who's influenced their selling style the most? We want to answer those questions. And then we finish it off by answering or uh, asking um, attitude-based questions, which assesses their internal and versus external locus of control. So do they view themselves as a victim or do they have like agency and responsibility? Then the final thing would be um, career fit, which is essentially like, you know, when you're selling a prospect, you want to position your offer as the bridge between their current desired situation. This is making sure that like your job is the bridge between their current desired situation as an employer. And so that one's pretty basic as well. But um, a few of those good ones are the the CBBI questions and the inputs, because that'll really take your hiring to the next level. That's awesome. I'm going to pull that piece out and just, I think that applies to every position that's being interviewed for. It's not just salespeople. Yeah. I think it's very applicable across the board. Everything in the group interviews too is everything. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, listen, man, I'm, this is amazing. So we're coming up, we're at over an hour. So I really, really appreciate your time. Um, But I think we've only hit, that was number two, like there's three and four. So maybe we do like a quick crash course on them. Um, yeah. but I'll let, I'll let you kind of, yeah. Cause I want to know what it is. I and mean, this has been super powerful, but, uh, yeah. What's number three. Yeah. Well, we could do that or we could do, we could do a part two, but number three would be ramping. So really fast. There's a 28 day ramping process to where you want to ramp them from zero to KPI. Uh, I'll give a little tidbit cause I don't think we can get into all of it in terms of ramping, but with ramping, we always want to hire two. It's called the rule of two. Because again, our human brain can only understand what's good and what's bad through comparison. Well, Cole, let me interrupt you. I love the idea of part two. I don't want to rush this whatsoever. 
We've gone through the first two. And I'll tell you why I like the idea of part two. So first of all, as it is, my podcast is going to a more frequent episode series in, as of what's probably already happened by the time they're listening to this. But I got a lot I'm chewing on right now. So because of the big revamp I'm doing of the learn business, um, I'm actually really chewing on some specific questions I'd like to ask you. So I'd actually like to take this, go away, come sit back. And I almost feel like if we could get back on in a few days, and we'll cover three and four, but then I can also like talk to you more about like, okay, I went and thought about this. Now I've got all these questions because I'm generally going to be applying this very soon. Like it's actually going to happen. And it would be really cool to even do a part three, which might be months later, where then we come back and say, all right, I did it. I applied this. This is what we got. Like now help me dissect all of this. So I wasn't thinking making it into a series, but like I'm already like I'm already seeing like okay I want to I'm thinking about other stuff while you're talking and I'm catching myself doing that and I'm like no I want to pay attention so why if you're cool with it I'd love to get you to let's get on another one and let me process this and come back and we're going to do number three number four and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and continue the consulting side let's do it that's great that will be freaking epic so just so people know what to expect what like number three again what was number four just like the title of it so that people know what's coming in three is ramping from zero to kpi number four is leadership and management and so what's cool about all this stuff is that you know here's the deal a lot of people ask me like well cole you know how did you go from zero to 30 million a year in two years and it was your first business ever and uh the thing is is i because i started as a sales rep and I train sales teams, sales teams are the hardest team to manage, lead, train, recruit for, in my opinion, period. Now, granted, I've never built a development team. If I was probably building one of those, that might, that might take the cake in terms of the hardest. No, sales, sales people are harder, man. It's the, it's, you got so many different personalities. Uh, there's, I built them all. I've done every type of team. And I'm telling you, when you say sales team, you see a whiff. I'm out the door, like out the back door so fast because they are so hard to manage. Um, so yeah, hands down. So what happened was when I built that skill, because sales management is skill, right? So when I built that skill, essentially what happened was it was very, very easy for me to build my marketing team, my operations team, my fulfillment team, because I, I kind of mastered the hard one the first, which, which stunk, you know? Yeah. So the reason I tell you that is because when we covered these other things in terms of management and everything, even if you're like, I have no interest in building a sales team ever, these principles will help you in any part of running your company. Um, because I would say that, that, that you know, if, if we're good at anything, our company, it's, it's building and leading great teams, you know, and that comes from the sales team. I, I, listen, I mean, just the interview part that you talked about, right? That I hope everyone takes that. And I'm telling everyone, being someone who's interviewed God knows how many hundreds of people, that formula is amazing. It'll work in every position. It's not just a sales team related position. Um, Cole, this has been an epic, epic episode so far. Like I said, it's got my brain working. I really want to go away and think about, for some reason, I'm like really all about the MDR. Like I'm stuck on MDR. Like that's a cool, I've never heard of MDR before, by the way. I've only heard of SDRs. This is the first time after having 10 tech of millions in sales team revenue that I've ever heard of MDR. And what I'm loving is the fact that, heck, I could start this community. And, and what I was starting to think is so, and this is something to give you food for thought. I really want to have three products. One's a $300 a month, very Brooke Castillo style. I don't know if you know who she is, Life Coach School. 
She's in our in our program, yeah. Awesome. So I love Brooke. Um, I told Brooke when I interviewed her for this podcast I was going to copy her, so it's all on the record. It's all good. Um, I love her two ninety seven a month. Now she's got a certification that's twenty one k. I don't I don't really see that. So I see kind of my for me it's like that webinar mastermind and then that one level higher mastermind. And I'm starting to think through like how could I use some of these processes and the MDR processes to even help sell the two ninety seven a month membership because that'll be the one that I feel like there's less kind of qualifications to purchase, right? It's it's going to be more for the only qualification will be like, okay, do you know what you're doing? Like, are you sure you're committing to building an information business? And so I'd love to talk about that as well as a possibility, or maybe have you kind of just maybe, maybe I'm looking at it differently and we can kind of play with that. But um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, loved it. Thank you. Everyone who's watching right now, where can they go if they want to start engaging with you or if they're looking at hiring you or being a part of your services? Is there a URL where they can go? Yeah, easiest one is closers.io. So closers.io, not close, closers. So uh, yeah, it's the easiest way. I mean, we got a we got a video, I mean, information on there basically explains everything we do and a bunch of case studies. So cool stuff. Amazing. Closers.io, guys. I 100% recommend you do this. Now, if you're listening to this, probably the next episode that releases on this podcast is going to be part two, but I'm going to take a week before I film part two because I want to really go away and, and digest all of this. Um, Cole, this has been one of my favorite episodes in a long time. And I mean that I, I haven't done a part two, dude, in like two years. Not even joking. Yeah, I have not done a part two in two years. So you have been super, super awesome with your information. And I'm going to continue to pull that until you're like, dude, leave me alone. So we'll keep doing parts until you're like, I had enough of the fighting entrepreneur. Uh, but uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Make sure you click subscribe right now. Leave a comment below. Click thumbs up. Go to closers.io. And what do I always say? When life pushes you, stand straight, smile, push it the heck back. We're going to see you on part two very soon. We're going to dive into step three and four, and I'm going to keep the consultant part going. Um, if you want to know what's going on in my head and what I'm building, this is the best time because I don't ever really talk about it except for when I feel like there's a selfish need to. So I'm doing that right now. So with that said, everyone, we'll see you on episode two. Cole, thank you very much. See you guys later. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.